Luke 7, 11 to 17. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of this town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. This is the word of the Lord. Well, our, our Western culture uh, does a pretty good job at, at hiding the reality of death today. Um, while one day each one of us, uh, unless the Lord returns, will face death ourselves, uh, it's easy at times to, to go through life shielded from uh, some of the ugliness and pain of death. Um, modern medicine, the vast materialism we enjoy, uh, helps us to avoid the topic of death and at times death itself as much as possible. Even at funerals are actually fairly sterile affairs. Um, we have nurses and doctors, uh, emergency room workers who, who care for those who are dying and then who care for the body uh, when a person dies. Then we have funeral home staff, um, graveyard workers who actually clean the body, prepare it, and bury it. The West does a fairly good job at hiding uh, the reality of death today. For many, uh, the ugliness can be somewhat avoided or at least uh, muted. But maybe uh, you're here today and you work in one of the various professions I, I just mentioned, or maybe you've been with someone as they, as they have passed away. The reality of death is hard. It's ugly. It's painful. It stings. It's impossible to avoid in those situations. The widow in our story knew the sting and pain of death well. She wasn't shielded from its ugliness. And Luke here in our passage gives us a glimpse into this incredible pain that she's experiencing and the funeral and the miraculous events that surround it. And then why we, in the midst of a life with real pain, real suffering, and real hurt, uh, where death is, is a, a gruesome reality, can have hope. We can have hope amidst death because Luke shows us here in these verses that Christ brings compassion and power to a world full of despair and hopelessness. Christ brings compassion and power to a world full of despair and hopelessness. And Luke shows us this through the funeral that we see in these verses. And so we're going to look at this funeral in three parts. Uh, procession, resurrection, and then transformation. So that's procession, resurrection, and then transformation. And so first, let's look at funeral procession. And Luke here paints for us uh, a striking picture. So on the one hand, we have this funeral procession uh, led by the widow. Uh, her situation is incredibly tragic in so many different ways. Um, she's experiencing the pain of death yet again. Having already lost her husband, she now has lost her son. And not just any son, it's her only son. 
This was a terrible situation to be in uh, emotionally, but it was also a terrible situation economically and socially. Uh, the family unit was incredibly uh, important in that time of life, and to be part of a family unit brought incredible security and stability. And for her now to be without a husband, to be without her only son, it leaves this woman in a, a precarious position, both economically and socially. This, of course, on top of the emotional pain that death brings. This widow knows heartache and pain. Her life turned upside down, not once, but twice. Along with the widow, we read that there were those carrying her son on a beer. Now, this is not a drink. Rather, a beer was essentially a wooden plank that was used to transport the body from the home uh, to the burial grounds. And these burial grounds were often outside the city. Uh, so it was um, a considerable journey at times. And at this point in the funeral, the body still exposed on this plank before being buried. Accompanying the widow, those carrying the body, we're told was a considerable crowd. It was a large procession. Uh, given the size of this crowd, uh, there would have been uh, any remaining family in that crowd, uh, friends of the family, but also, as was typical of that time, actually professional and hired mourners. Um, these were people who were actually paid to wail and to cry for the deceased. This might be a little bit more difficult for us to imagine, but it was a very common practice during that day and age. The size of this crowd um, gives us an indication that this was a significant death in a very somber procession. It's filled with despair. The widow has lost her only son. The sting of death felt again. But Luke tells us that this procession meets another large crowd, and they're following Jesus. And we know from Luke that this is all taking place uh, just after the healing of the centurion's servant. We looked at, at that passage last week. And as we've looked previously, we've already seen Jesus heal uh, someone with paralysis and leprosy. He had cast out demons and someone on the brink of death. So Jesus, uh, these amazing healings and exorcisms that he's done, they're contributing to this very rapid spread of his fame. And so throughout chapters 4, 5, and 6, and now into 7, Luke shows us that this fame has spread uh, quickly, and it's spreading throughout the entire region and, in fact, the whole country. In other words, people are talking. Uh, they're hearing the stories. They're showing up to see who this Jesus is. And wherever he goes, they're trying to figure out if all these stories are true. With this rapid spread uh, of Jesus' name and fame in mind, you can imagine what the mood in that crowd would have been. There would have been a buzz, um, an excitement. They would have been wondering what Jesus would do next. Who would be healed? What amazing thing might we see today as we follow him? Their excitement it would have been palpable amongst the crowd. And so on the one hand, you have this, this crowd, despair and hopelessness, tragedy. And then on the other side, you have life and hope and joy and expectation. And although the crowd following Jesus, they may not have um, been excited for the entirely right reasons, Jesus nonetheless gives them a glimpse into who he is and why he is truly worth following. And this is what we see in our second point funeral resurrection. 
And so despair and tragedy meet life and joy just outside the city gates. As Jesus meets the opposite crowd and sees the widow, Christ has compassion on her. In one sense, compassion, uh, to be compassionate, means to demonstrate love in action and to provide caring concern for others. For us, um, that might mean uh, putting your arm around someone, uh, giving them a hug, listening to them as they go through their difficulty, praying for them, and maybe fulfilling a practical need like making them a meal or offering them childcare, or lots of different other ways we can do that. While those are all very excellent things to do, Jesus has a few more tools in his tool belt, which is why he responds with the phrase, do not weep. Might seem like an odd phrase to us, but, but Jesus has another plan. Having compassion on this widow, Christ tells her not to weep, and then he reaches out his hand and touches the bier. Those carrying the bier and the body on it, they stood still. And then Jesus speaks. Young man, I say to you, arise. And the man sat up. He began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. A funeral resurrection. The young man brought from death to life. For the first time in the Gospel of Luke, we see just how far Jesus' power goes. Not only can he heal various ailments, not only does he have power over demons, but he has power over death itself. The young man is alive again. Where there was despair and hopelessness, there is now life and joy. Where there was weakness, there is now power. Luke He's continuing to show us that this Jesus is truly unique. He is a God of compassion who cares for the weak and hurting. If you, like the widow, know the sting of death all too well, if you've experienced the effects of sin in this broken, fallen world, broken relationships, pain and suffering, despair and hopelessness, the good news today is that Jesus is a God of compassion. He cares for the weak. He cares for those suffering, for those hurting, and for those in pain. In the Greek, this, this word for compassion, there's almost this element uh, where your insides, uh, your gut, are, are yearning. It's almost like that feeling if you've ever seen someone in pain or heard a bad story where your stomach almost goes in knots. This is the compassion and pity that Christ offers. He knows and he feels your pain. He is there with you amongst it and then demonstrates his love in action in response to it. We can know this is true because Christ, that we see throughout the Gospel of Luke and in the other Gospels, that Christ willingly entered into our broken world. He lived not a life of power or prestige or luxury, but of poverty and suffering. He faced every temptation and ultimately gave up his life. He knows what it is to suffer. He knows pain and heartache. He knows death. And God promises that, that as we experience pain and suffering, heartache and heartbreak, that he will not leave us. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. More than that, through the suffering of Christ, we are forgiven, redeemed, and brought into the kingdom of God. But our suffering, compassionate Savior is also full of power. 
He is strong enough to raise the dead. He alone has the power to actually heal and forgive, to mend and restore our broken world. You can imagine how how startled the crowd must have been here at this funeral. The dead man rises, Christ's power and compassion on full display. With his word alone, this young man rises from the dead and is reunited with his mother. Death to life in the blink of an eye. Now, uh, many of us, uh, I'm sure, have, have been to funerals before, and I dare say that none of us have seen anything like this funeral resurrection before. It's not every day we read in the paper or we read online that someone uh, has come up out of their casket and now is alive again. So what are we to make of this? Next time we go to a funeral, should we be praying for a funeral resurrection? Is this just a, a cool story to show how powerful Jesus is? So what do we make of this? Well, throughout the Gospels, we see that in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the kingdom of God was inaugurated. But it won't be consummated until he returns again. So God's kingdom, his reign and rule is both present and future. And some aspects of his kingdom, like resurrection, we won't fully enjoy until he comes again. On rare occasions, God can give a foretaste like he does here in this passage. But our true hope lies in his return, when all will be raised from the dead. This story then gives us a glimpse into what's to come. But there is more, because God is still working miracles in our world today, even funeral resurrections. Ephesians 2 says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. What Paul, the writer of Ephesians, is telling us is that if you are here today and you're a Christian, You were once on the plank, heading to the burial grounds. There was no hope, but God, being rich in mercy, made you alive. He has given you new life, a new life with Christ, seated with him in the heavenly realms, receiving the incomparable riches of his grace, receiving all that Christ has earned as your own. If you're a Christian here today, Christ has looked on you with compassion And in his power and love has raised you from the grave into new life with him. If you look on your worship guide on the front cover, there's a quote there. And this is what this quote tells us. It says, Christ was sent not to mend wounded people or wake sleepy people or advise confused people or inspire bored people or spur on lazy people or educate ignorant people, but to raise dead people. This is what it means to be a Christian today. But for those who are here today and not yet a Christian, Paul is warning us a funeral procession is taking place. There is no hope to save yourself. No amount of goodness or goodwill can raise a dead person back to life. 
only God who is full of compassion and power. The truth is, each of us need a funeral resurrection. We have no other hope. We need Christ to work a miracle on our hearts and bring us from death to life. And as we see and experience uh, this miraculous work of God, how then shall we live? What shall we do? Well, this leads us then to funeral transformation. Regardless of which crowd the people were originally part of, we're now told that the crowd as a whole is filled with fear. Seeing this man who was just on uh, this wooden plank being transported to his grave, alive again, reunited with his mother, fear seized them. But that fear, we read, turns to worship. Because Luke tells us they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. The people are transformed. They started the day in different crowds, participating in wildly different events. But as they converge, they realize that what they have just saw and experienced must be from God himself. The hopelessness, the despair, the excitement and expectation is transformed into worship. They know that this miracle happened because of the power of God. God's presence is among them. What they did not understand was that God himself was there among them. They suggest that that Jesus is a great prophet, and while their title is actually correct, it's ultimately inadequate. Because Jesus is not only a prophet. He is God himself, the one to who all other prophets speak to and point to. The title, inadequate, yes, but... But in their defense, this was probably the highest title they knew. What they did do was recognize the presence of God's power among them. God has visited his people. While they were still trying to figure out who exactly this Jesus was, they knew that this miracle had happened because of the power of God. Our call today is in many ways the same. We must see that that if we're left to ourselves, we're no different than the young man on the bier. If left to ourselves, we have no hope, heading to the grave. But as we see the powerful, compassionate work of God on display, and as we see and experience people brought from death to life, we're called to respond in worship, to recognize Christ and glorify him for who he truly is, This thing of worship, it's not just a a musical thing. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. It's an all-of-life thing. One person puts it like this. Worship is the response of the whole being, heart, soul, mind, strength, to beholding God's glory. Worship, then, is a whole being thing, which makes it an all-of-life thing. How we live, how we work, how we treat others is indicative of how we worship, or maybe who we worship. The question isn't whether we worship or not, but what is it or who is it that you worship? God calls us to worship himself, to love him and to obey him, to serve him and his people here on earth. There is no other God who can bring us from death to life. Unfortunately, none of us may ever witness a resurrection like the widow here in Luke 7 until the Lord returns. But he will return, 
The dead will be raised. Death will be no more. The world made right. But in the meantime, death is hard. It stings. It's incredibly painful. It's not the way that God intended things. But as we navigate the world we live in, we can have confidence that God in Christ is with us. He is full of compassion, eager to comfort those who are hurting. And he is full of power, eager and able to help those who are weak. He alone is strong enough to do it.